Hello, and welcome to the premiere episode of Unstoppable Force vs. Immovable Object, as I believe we are calling it now. I'm Ryan, and joining me shortly will be my co-host, Lido. In this very first episode, we'll be reviewing Ice Age 4, Continental Drift, directed by Christopher Nolan and starring Christian Bale, Anne Hathaway, Morgan Freeman, a bunch of British actors, and just Gordon-Levitt. I may have misread something along there, but anyway, just a warning. We spoil the entire movie pretty quickly in here, right off the bat. So if you haven't seen The Dark Knight Rises, which, for the record, you should, uh, I'd recommend you listen no further unless you get some kind of masochistic thrill out of spoiling movies for yourself. Uh, Also to note, my microphone kind of crapped out about 12 minutes in, so we lost about 10 or so minutes of the original recording. Uh, So around then, there's some weird buzzing and stuff, but it goes away. Uh, We'll try to fix it for next time. Uh, Okay, so without further ado, uh, I'll just uh, get this started. Hello. Hello, Lido. Hey. How goes it? All right, and yourself? Pretty good. Pretty good. Good. Long time uh, no talk. Indeed. Yes. So, um, let's see, I just started recording, so I just want to jump right in. Gotcha. To whatever this is that we're doing. Uh, Okay, so I guess we're just going to talk about The Dark Knight Rises then. Seems like the big thing in the moment, yeah. Not much really else to talk about, movie-wise. Movie-wise, yeah. yeah. So I, th- I think um, we both ended up really liking this movie, although um, for different reasons, Yeah, I might say. So why, why don't you say... Sure, that? like, well, this is a movie that I've sort of been gearing up to hate all year, so it was nice that I liked it. I like that. But, like, um, well, I have to give this one mad props. Why, because... why, why were you gearing up to hate it? Um, well, a big thing is that, like, you know, I'm much more of, like, a strict comic adaptation guy and, like, always being close to the source material. And Bane's one of my favorite characters from Nightfall. And so seeing him, like, being done, like, very differently here, it, it had me on edge at first. But it, That's funny because I, I thought that Bane was actually quite close. But, I mean, we can talk about that later. Um, yeah. But, like, the one, the one thing I have to give mad props to this movie for that, like, this really blew me away is how much it got me to like Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Anne Hathaway. Yeah. That's, that's, like, that's a good point. this movie, I didn't care for either of them, but wow, they were good. 
Well, I always like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, have you seen Have you seen Brick? His, no, I haven't. Like, that's the, I haven't seen him in that many movies. Yeah. Um, well, he, he's actually quite good in a lot of things, sort of G.I. Joe, Rise of Cobra, accepted. Oh, yeah. He was Cobra. <laughs> at, that was really surprising. That was also a terrible, terrible movie. Um, but the, I think the, the point of Joseph Gordon-Levitt is he, Nolan didn't try to sort of force him on you. Like, yeah. As opposed to Shia LaBeouf in, in Indiana Jones 4, um, you know, you weren't sort of showing him right away saying this is the, the next generation. So, Well, also the thing that I think really worked with him that I liked was his, um, well, his sort of unbridled optimism and the fact that he is sort of like Alfred's polar opposite in this, that he totally wants the Batman to return and stuff, which puts him in the same seat as the audience is in. So he's easy to get behind that way. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, they give him a lot of sympathetic stuff to do. I mean, yeah. having him literally work to save orphans, maybe a yeah. bit on the nose, but uh, it worked. It worked. I, I like that scene with him on the bridge. That was probably my favorite scene with him. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think so. It reminds me of um, a lot of other scenes that I've seen like that. He, he he showed his stuff there, and like he he has serious range, and that's probably the part of that that I remember the most with him in it. But I like that part. Yeah, and and you liked Anne Hathaway as well. Oh yeah, she's like she's easily the best Catwoman, short of Michelle Pfeiffer. Hmm. I mean, in the, like, like okay, the thing with Michelle Pfeiffer is that like she's a great character there, but she's in no way Catwoman. Well, okay, so so you're you're much more into the comics than I am. I've pretty much yeah. read Long Halloween, a little bit of Nightfall, and The Dark Knight Returns. That's it. So, mm-hmm. what what about Catwoman? Do you think Anne Hathaway captured that same Michelle Pfeiffer didn't? Uh, well, the big thing of like, if you look at Michelle Pfeiffer, she's she's much more psycho than Catwoman ever is in the comics. Like she's like she has this coming back sort of, from the yeah. dead thing, really insane, all that stuff. And it's like it's like Catwoman on meth. For she's, that. More of a, she's more of a straight up villain in that movie. Yeah, than Anne Hathaway is Here, in Dark Knight Rises. I like, I like that Hathaway still brought the sexy. Like that's a big part of Catwoman. Yeah. Yeah. She had. Yeah. Like especially for a Nolan movie, those usually don't have like any sexy at all. Uh, Prestige had some. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it has some, but like, and it's, even if you look at the camera work, it's surprising how little the camera cares about the woman in the skin tight latex. Yeah, yeah. Someone's brought that up. It, he he didn't indulge in in the male gaze as yeah. uh, as other directors, Michael Bay included, mm-hmm. would. Um, but I, you know that didn't that didn't bother me at all. Oh no, I agree. Yeah, and it's like they like. It let her bring the sexy, and the director and like the direction of the movie didn't have to do it, so it never felt really forced. Yeah. yeah. Also, she and had enough goodness to her character, like she had enough of like a more positive streak to her that you really could believe her turn at the end. Mm-hmm. And the so, other thing, yeah, she didn't actually spend that much time in that suit for all the for all the internet criticism that it got. There was actually very little screen time. It's true. Well, the other thing though, like most of the time she did use it in the movie, she always had the ears up, which I think helped. Uh, yeah, she did, yeah. Uh, I, I like that the suit, yeah, except for, like, one scene or when she's on the motorbike, but, you know, I don't really bother yeah. me. Yeah. I liked about the suit also is that it's it's clearly inspired by the Adam West Bat- Catwoman suit, which I liked. I like that. It was, yes. And, you know, it, the funny thing, um, sort of, Christopher Nolan was always saying at the beginning, like, including the stuff about not bringing in Robin, mm-hmm. how he was telling a story about the beginnings of Batman. And it became yeah. very clear at the end that this he, he was attempting to tell in this very last movie, he sort of changed focus into telling a more broad, like, the whole story of Batman. And so I sort of felt like at the end here, he tried to bring in a lot of things to make it feel more complete, more callbacks to other Batmans, mm-hmm. you know, 
the Robin character. So that changed, and I, that was a little jarring, a little bit. I agree there that like this, it sort of reminded me of this thing that Grant Morrison's doing in the comics right now, where it's like he wants it to be like have elements of every Batman story, which is a good idea in theory, but it can lead to feeling a bit diluted sometimes, or just overbloated. Exactly. Yeah, and um, so that I mean, one thing you could say about the Dark Knight Rises is that they, it tried to do a lot. It, it probably did. bit off a bit more than it could chew. Yeah, but at the same time. The story that it was trying to tell was was very small, um, just sort of it was just Bruce becoming Batman again, and this whole other stuff was just there to support it. Um, so I, I really liked that, and and so let's talk about um, Bane for a second. The biggest thing, yeah. Yes, because after the Dark Knight, basically everyone fawned over Heath Ledger. He won an mm-hmm. Oscar, <clears throat> and uh, Tom Hardy was kind of a, an odd choice for many. To play Bane because most only knew him from from Inception, as the exactly. sort of cheeky British like, guy from Inception. Yeah, that's sort of the same role he played in Rock and Rolla before that. Which is, you know, Christopher Nolan has said that he picked Tom Hardy based on Rock and Rolla, and honestly, I cannot see that at all. He played a, a gay gangster in Rock and Rolla. Yeah, was, that's what he played. Nothing. It's it's basically the same role as Inception. I don't I don't get how Very he saw similar. Bane in that. Well, I th- I think he picked Tom Hardy for Inception because of Rock and Rolla. Okay, yeah. And then well, he mean, gave him that whole action scene at the end in the Snow Fortress to was, see how he could do sort of more physical stuff. Yeah. Maybe the whole thing was just a long con uh, audition for Bane. But um, I, th- I think Tom Hardy did a really, really good job. Um, obviously, the voice is a bit device. You thought it was funny. Yeah, like, this is the thing about Bane is that, like, if you liked him in the trailers beforehand, you're going to like him in the movie. But if you didn't, the movie's not going to sell you on it. I, like that's about as much I can say on Bane. But his voice also changed a lot in the movie yeah, itself it, and in it, the trailers. And there, I, I'll agree, there are parts parts of it, a couple lines where it was a little too strange for me. Yeah, like there was um one part, like I remember the one part in the stock exchange where he said something. I had no idea what he said at all. There were a couple times that happened. Like I, I've yeah. been trying to figure out what he said after the "I'm Gotham's Reckoning" line. And I, yeah. I, think I believe that, he said, uh, do you feel in control? Because I like that. Do you feel in control? What are you? I'm Gotham's Reckoning, something, something, garbled, something. He, he was a little yeah. hard to understand. And um, they're, they're, you know, Christopher Nolan has an interesting thing with voices. He's always it's true. Like, look at the, the Batman voice. Or... I don't have a problem with that. I really don't have a problem with the Batman voice. Do you? And, it, like, it doesn't really bug me. Like, it doesn't drive me insane. Like, I know it does for some people. But, I like, yeah. it does pull me a bit out of the scene at times. Like, well, especially times when he talks to people who, like, in this, who know that he's Bruce Wayne. Like, when he talks yeah. to Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I don't think he needs the Batman voice there. Well, that's true. He ta- Well, he talks to, um, he does lose it towards the end. Like, he yeah. doesn't stay, it's much lighter in this movie than I think it was in, in The Dark Knight. But mm. it's still there, and it's still... You know, it, it when he's talking to Bane at the end, or when he's talking to Talia, they, everyone knows he's Batman. He doesn't need to pretend uh, that you know that he's just some creature of the night anymore. Yeah. But he still uses the voice, and I especially like was talking to Gordon. I liked that. I think it gave more to his character. Like this is Batman, and it, it gave more to the ending where Batman dies, not Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was actually very interesting, the fact that, like, just about everyone in the entire plot, except for Gordon, knows that he's Bruce Wayne. Yeah. That's true. He uh, told that's, a lot of people that he's 
that he's Batman in this movie. A lot That's of people found out. That's struck me as odd because, like, um, if you look at all of the Marvel movies, they do away with Secret Origins almost entirely. So if you understand that they sort of almost kind of went that way here, almost. Well, well but there's a big difference between the way, <clears throat> and I don't want to get into Avengers versus The Dark Knight Rises too yeah. early here, but there's a big difference in the way Marvel did it, which is basically these guys, I mean, they don't have any secret identities. Tony Stark is Iron Man, Thor is a god, Captain America is Captain America. Uh, they don't have any secret identities. Bruce Banner is the Hulk. So really the only one who is Iron Man, and I, I liked how they took away with that because that would have led to really stupid sequel plots. Yeah. That stupid sequel plot, obviously they had different stupid sequel plots that they relied <laughs> upon. But um, but this movie, it, it was almost like Spider-Man 2, where it was just like too many people are finding out that he's yeah man although i did like i did like the way gordon found out and i did love the way joseph gordon was just like i know you're batman dude like derpy do i know that was good that was unexpected like it never felt to me like there's sort of that niggling thing like after you watch it where it's like man a lot of people knew he was batman in that but like watching it it never felt like it was breaking with anything in the movie like it felt right for the story it was telling yeah, and, and even at the end, the only people who, I mean, the people who were at his, his gravesite, all you had was Gordon Fox, Alfred, and uh, and Blake. Those are the yeah. only four, and then the two villains who who bit it. Um, but those are the only four who knew. But it felt like a lot, especially considering in the first two movies. Well, I, I, I mean, I suppose basically you're swapping out Rachel Dawes for um, for John Blake, and then adding in Gordon. Yeah. So it's not that much more, but it, it felt like it was a lot. Well, it felt like it's more because there are less people connected to the plot who don't know. Like in Dark Knight, you had like Dent and Joker and the mayor was a much bigger part of Dark Knight, too. And like you have people like that involved. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was a little disappointing seeing the the mayor get just blown. up. Yeah, I was really disappointed about that because I actually really liked him. And I like the actor because he was in Lost and um, I must like every. Oh, oh, the senator was also in Lost, so energy popped that up. But yeah, he just kind of got blown up, and that was the end of him. But what what else were you going to do? The city had to become lawless, exactly apocalyptic. Um, but then you also have the issue of why did he let the police live? I know, I know, you have a problem with that. Yeah, that that yeah. bugs me because it's like I get telling people that the police would live. I you know, I get that it makes sense, you know. But what I don't get is like why he would actually follow up on it. Like if he had just not given the police food and water then they would have been, like, horrible to come out as Batman's army at the end of the movie. He could have won that way. That's true. Um, I think, <clears throat> well, from a story perspective, you have to keep the cops alive, obviously, so they can be the big army at the end. Um, in terms of Bane's plan, I mean, Bane's plan is a bit finicky. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, if you think about it. If you, well, he yeah. wanted to, he want, he, well, if Gotham, if you think of Gotham as Batman, from mm-hmm. Bane's perspective, he wanted to break Gotham before he killed it. Yeah. He wanted to just tear it down and reveal how, you know, broken it was or how corrupt. Um, well, what I was saying about Bane is that um, despite, like, well, first off, because of the bare bones approach to the character, he actually reminds me way more of a, like, more unknown guy called Deacon Blackfire than he does Bane. Deacon Blackfire. Who's he? He is from this um, sort of unknown but very, very good, if you get the chance to pick it up, Batman um, 4 issue prestige like soft cover graphic novel series called uh-huh. cult in which um the deacon is this priest who gets all the homeless and like destitute of gotham together down under the sewers and they become sort of like a weird but incredibly brutal vigilante force of their own like just like 
like really brutal, bloody murdering. And they end up bringing Batman down into the sewers with them and drugging and brainwashing him till he joins their group. He's basically the first wow. guy to break Batman. And then this happened when? This was 70s, 80s? This was probably late 70s because Jason okay. Todd was still Robin for it. Jason, okay, all right. I'm not I'm not steeped in my Batman lore, so that's cool. And then and then what happens is the Deacon and his homeless people take over the whole city, sort of like here, and the military can't get in to stop them. This, well, this this one was um, no man's land, right? This was a yeah, like you can see the no man's land parallel here, like blowing up the bridges and the military surrounding it to make sure people don't get in. And Bane's right. involved because he like no man's land is when he really came back into the Batman universe in force. That was he a bad guy then? Because I know Bane came back as sort of a good guy. He was sort of an anti-hero then. Anti-hero. Like he, he wasn't necessarily a force for evil per se because he did fight against people like the Joker in No Man's Land in a pretty nice sequence. It had a great cover where it actually had Bane breaking <clears throat> Joker's back even though you don't see that in the book. Wow, really? That would have been awesome. I know, right? But it, it was that he was working for Luthor and it sort of – it marked his turn from like straight up steroid huge villain or whatever into more of a Machiavellian anti-hero. Someone who's out for himself but his own gains aren't always bad. Ah, I see. Is he, is he still around, Bane? Um, yes and no. He's still around but like with the relaunch that DC has recently done, he's, he's not that character anymore. He's more similar to how he was in Nightfall, just a I big see. hulking brute kind of dude. OK. All right. Well, that's a little disappointing then. It is. Did, did you not like the New 52 thing? Um, overall, it's been disappointing. Okay. Well, why don't we talk for a second about um, the Avengers then because we've been teasing that yeah. a little bit. Um, which do you prefer? Which movie? Well, obviously, I prefer Avengers myself. Why, why is that? Well, the biggest thing for me that like gets me to like Avengers better than this one is that and I think you're gonna disagree with me on this one probably is that like A, I felt that Avengers pacing was a bit better. Mm. Okay. Like there, there were scenes that I felt like particularly around the middle, like there were a few things in Dark Nights and they really just felt like they were drawing things out unnecessarily. Like um okay, like Bane has his big speech at the stadium, right? That was mm-hmm. that was pretty good. I, I like that. But then he says the revolution will begin tomorrow, even though there's obviously still time to just go and do it at Blackgate now. You know what I mean? You don't need that day crossover there. <laughs> Uh, well, you do need that day crossover for – well, anything happened, it just skips to the next day. Yeah, exactly. They, yeah. they just – they show Gordon and Levitt driving around as the lights go down and they just cut to the next day. Mm-hmm. Well, you do – you need the response of the government to say we have not abandoned you. We yeah. are we're, – we're staying out of this before the revolution can truly begin. It's true. It just like it felt like something that I think could have been smushed together into one thing or like the special forces plot. That didn't really amount to anything because like well, it, did amount, again, it did amount to one really cool image or not cool but really gruesome image. Oh yeah, that on the bridge and that didn't necessarily need to have uh, Daniel Sanjata show up. Yeah, and uh, but you're right that did end very quickly. That they say that Nolan has no deleted scenes. That would definitely mm-hmm. be a deleted scene. Yeah, if, I'm if willing to bet there's probably more to that because like they just reiterate the same information about the bomb to us. Yeah. Um, well, they do, they do get across the, the information about the trucks and how it's sort of yeah. the Italian job kind of thing with his multiple yeah. trucks. Um, Although yeah. I, I will give her credit that it does help set up foreshadowing, I think, in that like I always wondered recently like how did Bane know those special forces guys? But then it hit me that like Miranda Tate told him. 
Ah, true. Yes, 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 yes. yes the yes, same yes. way that um, she's the one who's supposed to give Gordon the signal when she sees the needle for the right truck, which is why the one they were tracking is the wrong one later on. Right. That was one thing that confused me at the very end. How did they find the right truck again? Did they, just, they were just tracking multiple trucks. and There that were one three was trucks, and they, if you listen closely, they say that their routes don't really change. So they knew where to go for each truck. And like if you saw, they were marking the spots with the bat logo. That seems a bit short-sighted of Bane to just have them run the exact same routes every day. Yeah, but, like, you could also say that it's short-sighted of him to never flood that chamber, even though he had the complete ability to. Well, Tate probably had the ability to, not not Bane. Um, but, I mean, even so, you assume they're working together, you know what I mean? That's, ver- that's very true. Well, I, I mean, yeah, that's a good question. It was just there for dramatic effect. Exactly. That's what um, I mean when I say you have to assume a lot of things and really not think about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Like that's why that's why it sort of struck me when I was thinking about it. It's not really that much of a Christopher Nolan film because you don't really have to assume that much in other ones. But here, it's just sort of like it, like it's like somewhere near the start of the movie. It's sort of the movie likes to look at you and says that you know this is a long movie. We're not going to have time to explain everything in it. Just assume stuff and let it go because the good stuff is good enough to get over that. True, true. Which is how I felt about the Avengers. Yeah. Um. So that movie. Uh, you know, we've had we've had a back and forth on Facebook about this, but there's a question mm-hmm. of whether or not uh, a movie that sort of has grandiose ambitions, um, but the execution may not be as good, to a movie that just attempts to be just sort of popcorn entertainment, but the execution is is great. Which mm-hmm. one uh, should be appreciated more, perhaps, or which one yeah. should be considered better? Well, like, like I said, between the two, it's it is really hard to say that there actually is a way to make a comparison. Which there isn't. It's totally unfair. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I mean, one does things really well, the other does things really well, but the, both of them don't care about the things that the other is doing very well. It's true. It's true. Like, uh, like Avengers executes insanely over the top crazy shit, like Norse gods fighting men in power suits to defeat giant robo snakes and yeah. shit. And, and speaking of those power suits. Do they prevent you from feeling pain? I don't know. They feel very close to the skin. I don't know how they prevent you from uh, from hitting the ground at top speed and not feeling a thing. Yeah, I, I, I got it. There. I don't know. I felt a bit unbelievable. Well, uh, I, I I really thought that Thor being able to charge up Iron Man's suit was going to be part of the Deus Ex later. I thought it was. Charge up? Well, okay. Remember the one during Thor and Iron Man's fight? He hits Iron Man with the lightning, and it charges Iron Man's suit to 400% capacity. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That should that should have been part of it later. Yeah, you'd think that, like, huh, you'd think that he would do that to bring him back at the end. Yeah, but I mean, there was way too much set up. I mean, this is yeah. a problem with the Marvel movies in general. They set up a lot, mm-hmm. and there's a little payoff. I mean, there, there is a payoff, but it's sort of like they set up a lot, and the payoff is less than they set up. And it feels like they're always doing that because they want to bring you back for more. And that's what mm, I, I feel like... My problem with the the next generation of Marvel movies or the next phase, as they're calling it, is that they're not really going to be able to do that anymore because they've already had a big payoff. I am interested in what they're going to set up because, like, I've been hearing weird different reports. Like, some reports say that they've got something huge they're just planning for for 2017 that isn't Avengers 2. And that struck me as interesting. When's when's Avengers 2 supposed to be coming out? 2016? 2015 or 2016. Like, 15 at the earliest is what I'm hearing. Okay. That would be quick. That would be exactly, extremely right? quick. It should yeah. be 2014, I would think. But let's see. They, they have Thor, Dark World, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, possibly Ant-Man. 
Iron Man 3 and Guardians, Guardians of the, of the Galaxy. Galaxy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what happened to the Hulk? He got Hulk so much. Is still, Hulk is still 2015. They, they are going to bring out a Hulk movie. Yeah. They're doing a Hulk movie. Any, no one knows what it's going to be about, though. No, who or who's directing, writing? Uh, no, it's it's too far. It's too far off in the future. It's on sort of the back burner with like the Black Panther, Inhumans, and Namor movie and that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> the other thing that I'm worried about is they're going to stretch themselves too thin. I and can see that. Gonna, like, this and, is a lot of stuff. Yeah, bringing comics continuity to film is is one thing. I mean, it's a great idea. But in execution, mm-hmm. comics are just so sprawling, and the reason people don't get into comics is that the continuity is so just dense that you can't, which is why the movies have always been a place for you to get into the characters without having to basically exactly. be experts on it. Although I think they've, they've really done a good job with that because, like, for, for me, like, the thing for Avengers for me is that you really don't have to have seen the other movies to truly understand what's happening. At the same time, though, you kind of do. Loki's the bad guy. That's the one thing I was really disappointed in. Loki's the bad guy again. You need to know sort of the history of, of his and, and Thor's relationship. That's pretty much all you need to know. But that is yeah. important to getting to know the, the motivations. Like in the same way that like um, – or like you don't have to have seen Thor to understand what the cosmic cube is in Captain America. I had not seen Captain America actually. I recommend that because it's, it's easily the best of the Marvel films. Better than Iron Man? Uh, I like yeah. The problem with Iron Man for me is that the third act is way too brief. It's terrible. Yeah, the villain is terrible. Yeah, which is too bad because I like Jeff Bridges. I love you, but it's obvious you weren't intended to be the villain when they started this script. Who who was intended to be the villain? The Mandarin? Yeah, I think they wanted to use the Mandarin, but like that, Marvel usually goes into things without finished scripts. That is a bad idea. (laughs) And like, it doesn't always end poorly because like a lot of times they'll say like. Like, um, like if they'll have actors in the same city, they'll call them, like, come on, we're doing, we're going to shoot a scene now. Like, that's how the Iron, that's how Captain America got its ending, and it's a really great ending. Right. Well, they've, they've always done that, though. They've always had this, this sort of endings that don't, aren't really endings. That's the other problem with Marvel movies, with the exception of the Avengers. Yeah. Um, have you heard the rumors that, um, Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man's going to be involved in the next phase somehow? It's just rumors. I like. I mean, I I know that like there was the chance that the Oscorp building was going to show up in the Avengers, which would have been interesting. It almost happened. Yeah, I know because like they just didn't finish the designs in yeah, time. Yeah. Really, I think actually that Amazing Spider-Man would have been a much better movie if it was part of the Marvel universe. Um, I don't necessarily agree. I don't think making something part of continuity would make it better. It's just because watching it and like having seen the Avengers not too long ago, yeah. and like knowing Spider Man's Marvel character, I really wanted to see like I don't know, it's any kind of fallout from the big space battle, any kind of mention of like Tony Stark as another company against Oscorp, something like that. You know what I mean? <clears throat> yeah, I, I see what you mean. I don't, I don't think anything could have made the Amazing Spider Man a better movie. Yeah, to, to be entirely true. honest, uh, that was aggressively, aggressively mediocre. Um, you know, when I came out of it, I wasn't. Too, too harsh on it. But after seeing The Dark Knight Rises, it reminded you how how a good movie is made. Yeah, that sort of thing for me is that it was like after seeing Amazing. Like I've been really harsh on the Nolan films recently, but after seeing Amazing Spider Man, it was like you know what? This does give me context. Yeah, it does. Doesn't it? Um, let me ask you a question then. Of the three Nolan movies, Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight Rises, which how would you rank them and why? I would have to say Dark Knight is still the best, if only because the good parts are so really great that it makes up for the parts that do annoy me in it. Mm-hmm. With um, Dark Knight Rises coming in at number two, which is just consistently good throughout, it's sort of – to me, Dark Knight Rises is like Batman Begins but 
better in that it has more focus to it? Uh, more focus? Because I, I, I would I would argue that The Dark Knight Rises is actually less focused than Batman Begins. Well, it's just like... Um, Which the is not necessarily have, a problem. Yeah, well, the problem that I have with Batman Begins is that there's, um... Is that it just feels very middling, in that it's really... It is really two movies sort of stapled together. Perhaps. Or, or it also felt like Nolan... You know, the hard thing to remember about Batman Begins is that at the time, Nolan had really only made two movies. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I'm not uh, – I wasn't around on the internet really when he was picked to do Batman Begins, but I can't imagine uh, that people took that, you know, well. Oh, the guy yeah. who did Memento and this sort of meh movie with, with Al Pacino is doing Insomnia. Batman. Yeah, Insomnia. Yeah. Um, that's the guy who's going to take over this, you know, $150 million movie. I know, right? I mean, he's never done action. And just imagining sort of the, the, the shitstorm that happens every time, you know, <clears throat> and, and, and Hathaway is cast. Can yeah. Imagine how that went down. Um, but so it's, it's easy to imagine that he wasn't necessarily – I mean the fight scenes are one thing because the fight scene is very different in Batman Begins and the rest of the, the series. Mm. He didn't felt ne- feel necessarily sure of his abilities in that. So he kind of – It also feels like there's way more producer intervention in that one. Well, yeah, which is my point. Like he, he didn't he, – he sort of fell back upon maybe superhero cliches or mm-hmm. what the studio was, was prodding him in one direction. Like I always felt like the um, – the master plan at the end, which is the, the take the train with the thing to yeah, exactly. blow up the water mains. I always had the question of if it was, you know, making water evaporate, why wouldn't that cause the water in people's bodies to evaporate? Yeah, you think it, like it was that hot. Like at the same time, over like on that train that's never mentioned again in the series. It's seen briefly in the Dark Knight. <laughs> Like you, you actually, I think you can spot it in DKR too during one of the pan back shots of the city where all the bridges blow up. Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, it's also hard to tell because it could just be the exactly the Chicago L line, right? Yeah. But I mean, this sort of actually gets to one point that I wanted to make is that one of the biggest problems I've had with the Nolan films is that they never really show us in any way Batman or well, Bruce Wayne using his fortune and resources to try to help Gotham. They, they they well in terms of showing it they do talk about it in the dark night which is one thing that um I, it felt kind of forced like mm-hmm. oh you, you were you were helping um boys homes and uh funding this alternative energy stuff and it, it felt like nolan realized what you just said yeah and had to course correct a little bit actually it kind of strikes me that dark night rises does sort of deal with that but in a way that i find humorously enjoyable in that like oh yeah he used his after he quit being batman he used his money to try to help help out the city and stuff he's just really bad at it <laughs> well his parents it's it mentioned very clearly that his parents did yeah batman begins their death sparked whatever um to lead the charitable people. and like and he he like his dad made the train that's like the cheap public transportation or whatever and stuff right which is which is obviously destroyed uh yeah, Bruce Wayne is not not great at the whole uh, philanthropy thing. It's not his thing. Yeah, like there's the other thing is like if you listen closely to lines in um, Dark Knight Rises, like it does end up sort of weirdly going against itself sometimes. What do you mean? And like, uh, check it. Like, all right, there's one scene where Alfred is talking to Bruce, and like you you get the sense the reason he's a recluse is because of Rachel's death. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the thing is that if you listen to Miranda Tate's conversation with him, it seems to imply that he only became a recluse three years ago after the energy project fell through. Um, well, I mean, like, and that kind of confused me. There, like, I get it could be both. It just strikes me as odd to wait four years before having her death really sink in. 
I think it's both. I think what happened was not not both necessarily, but mm. um, uh, sort of different levels of recluse. After Rachel's death, after the Dark Knight, he sort of slipped into uh, a much lower profile, and then after. And then he pumped all his money and, and, and energy into this into this energy thing. And then after that, then he went into total hiding. No one sees yeah. him. <clears throat> but I think it's it's definitely possible that he just sort of slipped out of the public eye, but was still relatively active in Wayne Enterprises yeah. for, for three years. But like I said, this is in no way a bad movie. This is no. It's very good. Like it's better than a lot of other movies that I've seen. This is true. Um, you want to wrap up a little bit? Um, yeah, like, okay, there's one other thing that I wanted to say, and, like, this is just, like, totally candid, totally my personal opinion on Bane, and it's this, is that, okay, it's, like, I was, I was sort of headed towards this before, and that, like, there is really so little of the original character here that you can't get mad over character inconsistencies. And, like, that's the perfect way for me. Huh. If you're not going to adapt a villain, like, legitimately, that's the best way to do it, in my opinion. In name only sort of thing? Yeah, like... He reminds me the most of Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin. Ooh, okay. Uh, that's a bit harsh. I, 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 <laughs> I, I love Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin, so for me that's a good thing. Oh, okay. Well, I thought Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin was uh, silly to the extreme. <laughs> that's what I liked about him. Okay. And, like, well, the thing, like, they both sort of have the same kind of problem in that the actor is obviously constrained by the face mask. See, I, I don't think he was. I mean, the... the uh, he was constrained, yes, but I don't think – I think his his performance would have suffered if he actually took it off. Yeah. that I think added like, so much. You go first, yeah. It's cool. I just said that added a lot to his performance. That yeah, was. like it's that – I mean it's obvious that it would have been weird and hard to do it without that. But it does seem to me that like he has trouble conveying as much emotion without his facial expressions. I'd say, I'd say he, he conveyed his emotions quite well, especially at the end during the uh, the flashback. Um, or while Talia was sitting there going, you know, um, I'm going to do the Watchmen thing, the watch the thing yeah. the Watchmen made fun of, and explain my plot before I hit the button. I thought I that was that. A, that took me out of it. You're not going you you gonna talk to him for five minutes for whatever. Um, no, like I said, like that's the big um, thing that I love about it. it's like it's full of like secret layers, doomsday devices, big villain speeches, all that stuff. I, I like that. Not that that not that necessarily makes it. Um, bad or more comic booky or anything like that. No, no. Well, it, I'd say this actually is probably his most comic booky movie, if only because it takes, um, you know, much greater. It's, it's sort of like over the course of the films, he's mm-hmm. actually taking more inspiration from the comics. Like the yeah. Dark Knight, a lot of it is just based on the Long Halloween, mm-hmm. and this one, a lot of it's based on Nightfall and No Man's Land, and sort of feels like over the he's found he's picked and and chosen his sort of inspiration points and those become um greater in emphasis over the course of the series what i think is very interesting about him is like i like this actually is that his adaptations are sort of the polar opposite of the x-men adaptations um why would you say that well with the x-men what they love to do is like they love to just throw characters from the comics in there like they don't care if they're getting them right they just have to throw a name in there you know what i mean like, well, the, um, the Marvels, like in the first the one, there's a big character named Henry Peter Gyrich from the X-Men universe who just gets <clears> killed <throat> off in the first X-Men movie and he's an <laughs> eight or some shit like that. Yeah. But with this, Nolan prefers like less taking actual characters and stuff from that universe and more taking storylines and story points ideas. Which is, I'd say, the right way to do it. Yeah, I agree there. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you this. How would you rank this movie? What would you, what would you, uh, what would you grade it, let's say? 
um, well, let me see. I would probably give it either a B plus or an A minus. Okay. Okay. Probably more erring towards A. The only thing that keeps me from it is that, like, I did kind of feel the length at times. Yeah. Like, I, I, I won't lie. Like, the one, like, Batman's time in the pit, like, I said this for the trailers, too, is, like, those scenes of him climbing out of a hole aren't really as riveting as they think they are. Like, they're they're very, they're interesting, sure, but they weren't quite as grabbing as they could well, be. Well, it, it's sort of a given he'll get out. So the, yeah. it, it, it sort of feels, um, you know, it's it's a given he's going to get out. There's not a whole lot of suspense in that. Um, just like there's no suspense in the, the people blowing themselves up once you've seen it once. Yeah, Once you know exactly. what's going to happen, that's yeah, – whatever. It's kind of it. And it's like I was actually kind of disappointed in the Lazarus pick because I had heard on the internet that it was going to be like some sort of weird like dungeon prison for the mind and stuff. And that's kind of cool. Like it would be full of weird hideous flashbacks and things like – I don't know. Like like if you saw Rachel's zombie corpse or some shit, like why didn't you save me? That would have been awesome. That would have been terrifying. Yeah. Um, I, no, I, I like the pit. I don't – I mean – Lazarus Pit, I, I don't know. I, that's just kind of making too many connections for me. I just think it was supposed yeah. to be the well that he fell in when he was a kid. That was its only thematic connection. No, I only call it the Lazarus Pit because, like, they say it's a pit, and it's like, huh, a pit with Ra's al Ghul connected to it. You don't say. Is it Ra's al Ghul or Ra's al Ghul? Um, it can be – it can go – it depends on where it's originating from. Like, in the movies, it'd be Ra's al Ghul because he's clearly supposed to be situated more towards Asia, like with the ninjas and shit. Right. But in the comics, he's supposed to be more Iranian with assassins, so that would be Ra- Rachel Ghul. Rachel Ghul, I see. And of course, he's neither since he has just a British accent. Yeah, since he's Liam Neeson. Well, he's a he's a mercenary that came in yeah. during some seventies, I guess eighties. I guess it kind of have to be. 70s. I don't know. It's like you you don't want to think about time in this movie, though. Fair enough. Or or maybe you know maybe this these movies take place ten years in the future, and he's talking about the nineties. Yeah, I can see that. It's possible. It's possible. Someone, someone else brought up that maybe the, all these movies take place five years in the future. And this mm. one takes place 13 years, which explains the sort of futuristic knee brace that he's wearing. Yeah. Okay. Um, so oh, just, Let me ask you, though. So what would you rank the movie? I, I'd probably give it a very similar grade. Probably A-, minus, mm-hmm. uh, whereas um, The Dark Knight was an A. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Um. So before we go, let me mm-hmm. just ask you this. What movies are you looking forward to? Because this was kind of the big movie of the year, pretty much. Well, there's really only one thing that I think is coming up now that can really compete with it in size of scale, and that has to be The Hobbit. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I love the Lord of the Rings movies. Those were huge mm-hmm. when I was a, a little kid. Um, I'm really, really not feeling The Hobbit. Just for so many reasons, it looks like they're going to try and darken it up, which does not fit with the book at all. They're yeah, going to make it two movies, agree that, which like, doesn't. It, it weirds me out because, like, I don't know how they're going to get two movies out of one. There's book. no like, natural split point. Yeah, you, I mean, you could have Smog killed at the end of part one, and then part two just a giant battle. Harry Potter did that, but that's not interesting. They can't do that for the Hobbit, so there's no natural split point. It's just going to end. And lose all kind of dramatic tension because of that. And the second thing is, of course, 40 frames per second, it's going to look terrible. <laughs> I don't, well, actually, the Comic-Con people, has, like they, it was on like a different kind of reel or something like that, and it suddenly looked great now. Well, in Comic-Con, they showed it in 24p, which yeah. shows me that they are worried about it. They're not going to mm-hmm. show the people who will pay to see their movie how it's going to look. That yeah. Doesn't, that doesn't have a lot of confidence. I agree there. So, 
Yeah, not looking forward to it. And it, it looks like they're going to shoehorn in characters that weren't in the book. They're going to shoehorn in Saruman and Legolas yeah. and, El- and Frodo. Like, um, Elrond, I think he's in the book. But I hear that Radagast the Brown is going to show up, so that should be interesting. I have no idea who that is. He's like, yeah, exactly. He's like an incredibly minor character that, like, unless you're a big fan of the stuff, you won't know him. Are they going to throw in Tom Bombadil? Ideally, no. Ideally, no. God, there was a reason he was sucks. edited out of the real movies. There's a reason that J.R.R. Tolkien admitted that he didn't know what the hell Tom Bombadil was. Well, it does make me wonder, like, how Lord of the Rings-style fantasy is still going to hold up in a world of Game of Thrones. Well, you know, okay, so Game of Thrones doesn't didn't feel like fantasy to me, to an extent. It feels just mm-hmm. like, it's it's much more adult, obviously. You know, Obviously, yeah, and um, it's it's much more based on politics and personal crap. Lord of the Rings is still high fantasy. It's it's still please the masses. It's like asking. It's basically it's almost Avengers versus The Dark Knight Rises, or like uh, Star Trek versus Star Wars. Um, or or Battlestar Galactica the remake versus the Star War, the Star Trek movie. Well, yeah, you know? like that sort of thing. Yeah, it's. They can per- perfectly coexist. Just the question is, um, can The Hobbit reassert its dominance over the genre? Yeah. And I, I mean, think it, it can. It looks like it's really trying to cash in on the nostalgia factor, in my opinion. Because, like, like so, I literally grew up with Lord of the Rings movies. And, like, yeah. so seeing the Shire on the screen again, it's, like, a big thing. Me too. And, I, you know, it's great seeing the Shire again. I just worry that they're going to get it wrong. Yeah, I hear you there. And they're... You know, no one wants to see another. I mean, Star the Star Wars trilogy. People were talking about that as like that is the next. Uh, I mean, that's Star Wars. The Lord of the Rings trilogy is the next Star Wars trilogy. Yeah, to a whole new generation of kids. No one wants to see a prequel. Agreed. So that's that's my worry about the Hobbit and the forty eight frames second thing. So the fan in me is worried about that. Just it, them getting it wrong. The sort of film buff in me is going forty eight frames second. What the hell are they thinking? <laughs> There's a reason it's been 24 frames for 100 years. Yeah. Um, so I'm worried about that. I'm also really looking forward to Looper. That does look good. Uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Ryan Johnson, obviously, who directed Brick, mm-hmm. which you should see if you haven't. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I read the script, actually, which I told myself I wouldn't do. Mm. But I did read the script, and it's very, very good. Gotcha. And so I'm really looking forward to that. And finally, Django Unchained is the last one. Oh, of course. I just missed out. I went to Comic-Con and I just missed out seeing the panel on that. Gotcha. Which was... Were you at the uh, Before Watchmen panel that Tarantino crashed? Seriously? Yeah, he crashed the Before uh, Watchmen panel who announced they were going to be Dej- Django Unchained uh, comics. Django Unchained comics? Yeah. That sounds like a bad idea. It sounds like like it sounds like it's going to be like a movie tie-in comic, which yeah, could that's... be good. I've seen good ones before. Well, before Watchmen in general sounded like a bad idea. No, oh, have, you, have, you, have, you, have you been reading that? No, no. I, like, I'm not even that enamored with Watchmen itself, so I didn't really care about the prequels. Ah, okay. <clears throat> um, yeah, Django Unchained it looks great. If I had known Tarantino was going to crash, I would have totally gone to that panel. Oh. <laughs> um, I, I also read the script for Django Unchained a long, oh, time, nice. long time ago. Uh, that is, it's going to be a very divisive movie, I can tell you oh, that yeah. right away. Um. But it looks, I mean, it looks just insane. So just the way he shot it 
Netflix. Actually, there is one thing that I'm looking forward to. I'm not sure if it is still coming out this year, but it's um uh, supposedly in November. What? They're going to release this remake of Red Dawn that stars Chris Hensworth. Are they releasing it? Yeah, I, I hear they, they have, are. Haven't they been holding on to that for like four years? They changed the Chinese to Korean. And then I'm told they edited it into a comedy. This like this sounds like the greatest train wreck <laughs> to ever be released. Wait, they edited it into a comedy? Yes. Wow. That that this <laughs> that sounds Ishtar bad. Oh yes, it's wow. like oh oh let's let's unwrap this one. <laughs> Wait, so no, because that that was before. Oh, that was just after they made Cabin in the Woods, mm-hmm. and that took forever to come out. Oh yeah, but just why he looks way younger in that than Avengers. Yeah, yeah, and Cabin in the Woods also an amazing freaking movie. Oh um, yeah, wow, Red Dawn. I I just thought that was that got shelved. Like, you thought that was going to be show forever, but the fact that it's actually coming out, it's like, oh, man, this is going to be a train wreck of epic Maybe they just want to slip it under the radar and, you know, bring out a bunch of TV spots a week before and hope that it recoups some of its budget. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's their plan because it sucks. It's supposedly coming out November 2nd. Uh, it's same, same week as Wreck-It Ralph, it seems. Or is it, wait, isn't that also the same week as Skyfall? Uh, no, Skyfall is the 9th. Okay. Okay, Skyfall also looks great. I'm interested in that. Like, I like the I like the the uh, cold opening with him doing the um, psychological thing. Yeah, that was good. That was good. I mean, I, I love Daniel Craig. He's my favorite Bond, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, he and Timothy Dalton, because I'm a Bond nerd, and that's why I like it dark. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, just everyone's everyone's complaining that Quantum of Solace looked terrible. And even Casino Royale didn't have a lot of visual flair to it. And it looks like yeah. with Skyfall, they found a way to bridge the gap between the style of the movie and the grittiness of Bond, uh, which I, I, I'm really looking forward to. Like, I am liking the neon Tokyo lighting stuff that they've got going there. Yeah, I like that yeah. stuff. That looks great. Because, like, I that's just, sort of the thing that, like, I have to agree a lot of people on that one. When it comes to, like, a lot of the Bond movies that I've seen so far, like the, the Daniel Craig Bond movies, like, the first one had a had a pretty good story, you know, pretty good like resetting up of Bond and stuff. Well, but yeah, like, they the lacked any Bond kind story. of visual flair for me, and like I agree with people there. And this like it's adding it there, and I like that. Yeah, and I think a lot of people um, sort of mistake uh, Bond being comedic with Bond looking like crap. Yeah, and it's good. I mean, Bond the Bond series, let's face it, has never had great directors. Has never had sort of. Uh, has never looked very good. It's always no, just. It's, it's always. It survives on cheese and nostalgia nowadays. Um, it, it did. I mean, I mean it the did for a long stuff. time. I mean, when it started, these movies. It's hard to believe started as very low budget affairs, and they were medi- medium budgeted for a long time. The Dalton mm-hmm. ones were just insanely low budgeted compared to what oh, you yeah. might expect. And um, they were. I mean, visually, the Bond movies have never been great. They've they've just had they've had acting, and they've had sort of just bombast on its side. And this one looks like the first one. They they're, they're making an honest attempt to make it a great film, which is what it, I appreciate. Like actually, like actually, you you're like looking back. There's no really iconic images that I can draw from the Bond movies except for the credit sequence with him shooting the cameraman. That's true. Um, well, hang on, hang on. There's, uh... I guess maybe you could argue the, the Golden Girl from Goldfinger. Yeah, maybe. that, um, probably the Union Jack parachute from The Spy Who Loved Me. That was pretty cool. Um, maybe some, I mean, Connery, uh, or no, no, um, Honey Rider emerging from the, 
from the ocean in Doctor Who. Oh, Hill. yeah. But these aren't, these aren't iconic because of the way they're shot or just the visuals of it. They're just iconic because the, the, what was going on in the scene or just Honey Rider coming out of the ocean. Exactly. Like, they, they sort of, like, they, the strange thing is, like, it's iconic because, like, it was really popular then and it's sort of, like, been passed down to us now. Not yeah. because, like, we still think that it's iconic looking at it now. Just that we know that it is for its past significance. Yes. And, I, you know, I sort of feel like that's true of a lot of older movies. Like, I mean, this is getting sort of way into my opinion on sort of the classics, as it were. But a lot of movies you look back on, we've come a long ways in terms of cinematic technique mm. and technology. And yet we still idolize these older movies that just do not look as good anymore. But, you know, for the time, they looked great and we're comparing them and it doesn't feel right. Like Citizen Kane, for example. Yeah. Everyone likes to talk about how it's shot, the lighting. I would argue that the social network looks better than Citizen Kane in terms of how it's shot, the lighting, and, and the acting. But you'll never hear someone say that. Yeah, it's like, I mean, even in the terms of old movies myself, like, I mean, I love Citizen Kane. It's one of the few movies that's ever actually surpassed the hype for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like, I went into it, like, hyped up and, like, actively looking to dislike it because that happens when movies get super hyped for me. But, like, I liked it like anyway. The dark, like The Dark Knight but, Rises. Like, yeah, same like with The Dark Knight. I was like, all right, Dark Knight, let's see what you get. And then I was like, oh, man, this is great. <laughs> but no, but with Citizen Kane, like, people always say it's the greatest movie of all time, but, like, I, I can disagree there. Cause, I mean, it's like even held against something like King Kong from its own time period, King yeah. Kong is a far more technically impressive film. Oh, it is. And, and that's true of any sci-fi or big special effect movie over the dramas. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just always going to – it's always going to happen. And especially because of the Oscars, you know. like there's a good um there's a good interesting thing in the uh, Peter Jackson remake of it, which is like passable. I mean, there's a um there's some behind the scenes stuff which I found interesting where they tried to recreate an entire scene from the King Kong movie using the claymation of the time. Oh, the spider it took pit? them like nearly a week to do it or yeah, some shit. Yeah, yeah, I like that because that's the one big complaint about the, the original King Kong. They cut out that scene because it made people vomit. And oh yeah, the, with, with the insects and stuff. That was yeah. Yeah. And the way that Peter Jackson did a remake of it, and it was gr- it was just awesome. Yeah, the, the, the little claymation. All the stuff on the island in that movie is great. Oh yeah, oh, I remember us talking about this way back in middle school, mm-hmm. uh, King Kong. You said it was um, the the jungle stuff was like the best Jurassic Park movie. Yeah. Ever. Once you get back to New York, it's kind of lame, but the island stuff is great, and I would agree oh. with that. That is a, a super fun movie while it's while it's on that island. Although you have to, you have to ask why the dinosaurs are so hungry for Naomi Watts when there's plenty <laughs> of other bigger stuff to eat. It's true. Like, I mean, if I was a T Rex, I would probably go after something that likes a little bigger and less running away. Yeah, exactly. It, it doesn't look like Naomi Watts would have a lot of calories to her. <laughs> uh, I like that. Yeah. So I, I actually, uh, I gotta head out here. So um, it's cool. So this is this is really fun. We should, yeah. definitely, we should definitely do we this should again. do this again sometime. Yes, yes, indeed. And um, I'll find a way to post this on the internet somehow. <laughs>